This episode of The Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Aluma Trailers, North Dakota Tourism, Federal Ammunition, Nutrisource Pet Foods, and by Onyx Hunt. Today I'm joined by Ben Bredigan from Onyx Hunt to discuss late season tactics to help you bag a few more upland birds this season. Plus, we'll talk about hunting for different bird species in places out of your comfort zone and when to trust your dog. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all of you. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always, is our producer. Good morning, Brandon. How are you today? Good morning, Travis. I'm doing great. It's good to see yeah. your face and smile. Yeah, yeah. It's been a minute, hasn't it? It has wow. been. It has been. Ben Bredigan sitting right next to us here. Ben, thanks for coming into the office today. That's a lot of bends in one line there. <laughs> ben, Ben, Ben. Ben, Ben. I've been doing well, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's... Um, we were talking before we started this show, and um, I I don't know the right way to approach this. So um, I'm just going to say, you know, last week we did not have a podcast go out. Um and it was it was a tough week. It was it was uh, it was heavy for a specific reason. Uh, we were out in North Dakota. That let's see, it's the twentieth of December. We were out there ten days ago, nine days ago, and we were on a hunt with two dear friends, Emily Spoliar, who's been on this podcast before. She works in North Dakota for Pheasants Forever, and Renee Tamala also works for Pheasants Forever out there. And we were filming. A, a hunt to celebrate our dogs because um, Quill, Renee's dog, and uh, both of Emily's dogs and mine uh, all just became life members of Pheasants Forever, which we were so excited Very about. Cool. Uh, so it was just a celebratory hunt out there. Um, and it was just a magical day. There was, we, we were hunting this beautiful property and the birds were holding tight for late, late season like this in, uh, North Dakota. It was 30 degrees and sunny and not much wind. So it was just a beautiful day and we saw hundreds of birds and the dogs were just, oh, they were just doing their job to perfection and, and we were just having the hunt of our life and then, um, as the day right before the sunset tragedy, um, Quill fell, took a terrible fall, terrible, uh, fall off of a cliff and everything changed at that moment. And, um, it was just, it was just a shock, I think for everybody out there, um, you know, and, I, I guess just out of respect for Renee and Quill, um, I think I just want to say, you know, I, I guess I don't know, guys, how to necessarily um, talk about this. This is part of hunting. Uh, it can be part of hunting, you know, the, the tragedies and the things, the accidents that can happen out there. Um, but it was very scary. And Quill is still fighting as we speak. Um, we don't know the outcome. Um, they, we, we raced Quill as fast as we could, uh, to a vet in Hedinger, North Dakota. Um, spent a few hours there, was determined then we needed to go to a 24 hour place, which was then Rapid City, South Dakota. Um, spent a couple days there, Renee did, and Emily with Quill. And then, uh, they were able to bring him back to Bismarck. And now he's in Minneapolis at the University of Minnesota. And um, I've been, you know, staying in touch with Renee and her fiance, Joe, um, to just keep getting the information. And the doctors are giving Quill 
some optimistic news, but also a long recovery ahead. And I think what I would say is um, Renee made this uh, information you know, public. She shared it on her social media pages, just the, the tragedy. Emily set up a GoFundMe account, and the Upland bird hunting world is a very close-knit community and a special one. And um, many of you, I believe, have seen this uh, the story on there, and many of you have donated. Um, you know, it's just remarkable because the the they're a young family like yeah. like we are. Ben, it's a huge you know? financial burden. I mean, it, gigantic. Gigantic. Uh, the the amount of doctor or you know the expenses that mount up but the fact that people that maybe don't know renee decided to pitch in mm -hmm. and help um it just relieves a, a little bit of the financial burden that comes with this whole recovery and the procedure um it's it's just a big thank you to everybody that has donated but also sent messages um, I have received a lot of messages that I forward on to Renee as well. Um, and I know a lot of you have reached out to her uh, directly to just let her know that you care. Uh, there's a lot of value in that, knowing that everyone's behind you. So we're behind you, Renee and Quill. Um, and thank you to everyone else for the support. Uh, it, it means a lot. Right now, as we speak, Ben, Quill is going in for a surgery. I just got a text a couple minutes ago. Um, and there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance that that dog will hunt again, which blows Stounding. my mind. The cliff that he fell off of, um, you know, it's, it's not one that I believe either one, any of us three in this room would have walked away from or no. made. Not at all. Not judging by the pictures that I saw. There's there's zero chance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's a big cliff. Yeah. I actually was on top of the riverbank and I stopped for a moment to take a picture of the setting sun because the sky was beautiful and um the river was winding through it, the snowy landscape. I didn't know when I took that picture that what had happened. I didn't see it. But I Couple, this I like two days later. I went back and looked at that photo, and I realized that Renee and Emily were in it, and that Quill was in there too. So you can see this cliff, and it's a straight ledge. And he, um, I don't know what happened as far as why he went, or you know what transpired in that exact moment. Um, I think. When we know more about uh, Quill and his recovery, um, you know, if Renee might be open to coming on and talking about what that experience has been like, um, we can have that conversation. I think there's a lot to be learned from it. I will say, you know, just being out there and an accident happening in the field, how quickly things can change, uh, how much... Uh, you can plan for stuff, but yet also, what would you do in that scenario? How do things happen uh, keeping your cool, you know, and being there to help somebody that needs uh, a calming voice? Um, but also, do you have the tools in the field, you know? Um, <laughs> amazingly, I found out that my vest can hold a 70-pound dog. You know, I unzip. I've got the Chief Upland vest, and it's got uh, this, like, backpack um, option. But there's a zipper on there to to fold the whole thing down, which kind of was nice. I was able to zip, unzip that. And then Emily and Renee and I, we slid the vest, like, um, uh, underneath Quill, but not wanting to move him too much. And then I was able to wrap, <clears throat> wrap the vest around and uh, hike out of that uh, that steep ledge there with them. In the vest, so I mean, you just make do, I guess. Sometimes, yeah, you can you can prepare all you want, and then something like that happens, and, and the game completely changes. But you know, th that's that's the price we pay, right? For yeah. for for doing this sport. I mean, that you know, we hope it doesn't happen to anyone, but you know, at the end of the day, that stuff is going to happen, and it's it's a uh, you know something you just have to 
we have to deal with and be accepting, right? Right. Yeah, it definitely can. Yeah. Well, I got a question too. So when you talk about being prepared for hunting and having mm-hmm. the right tools for the field, you know, like your first aid kit for the dog, for you, for everybody. Yeah. Do you, when you go to a place, make sure you know of the closest vet or do you have that stuff available or is that something people should be doing? Because you could be without cell phone reception, without internet. Is that something on the on people's checklist? If you know where you're going hunting, maybe to to keep in mind where the local or the closest yeah, vet is. I mean, okay. So if we're doing, if we're being honest, I would say I do that occasionally, but not as not as much no. as I should. You know, we've had vets on this show, and they'll tell you before you go hunt somewhere if you're traveling, know where a vet is. And yeah, yeah okay, but that sometimes goes in one ear and out the other because there's all these other things you're thinking about. You know, like for me. If we're producing a show, I'm working with the cameraman. I'm working with everybody, trying to make sure that we have everybody in the right place at the right time. But, like, honestly, I didn't call ahead. Sure. Even though Renee and Emily live out there, I guess my assumption is they would know. Sure. Um, and they did know. And so then we, you know, we started heading that way. Um, and then I called and um, got a doctor that was on call and then she came to meet us at sure. the clinic that was closed. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's certain tools that I carry in my vest with me everywhere I go. I've got uh, wire cutters. I've got a pliers. Ben, we've used that a couple yeah. times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pull those things. Uh, quills out. Quills out. Porcupine quills. Yep. I've got tape that I keep with. What else do I carry with? There's In my truck, I've got a whole first aid kit. Um but I don't carry a whole first aid kit in my vest. What do you carry with you, Ben? Uh, same thing. I've got wire cutters, couple zip, couple big zip ties for traps, um, for like for conna bears or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got quick clot. Okay. So you know, if if something like catastrophic happens, I can just take that and shove it in the wound and try to get the bleeding to stop. I've got some gauze, rolls of gauze, vet wrap in there. Um, yeah, just just it's like pretty much a triage. Like get the dog back to the truck where I have, yeah, you know, a giant box full of stuff to deal with it. So, and have you ever had to use it? You know, nothing. You know, I've definitely had to use it. I use. I'm in my, I'm in my vet kit almost every single day. I'm hunting. You know, with three dogs, something's always happening. They're like every day. This dog's got an upset stomach. This dog's throwing up. This dog's got a cut. Right. So I'm in it all the time, mm-hmm. but you know, I've had to use, you know, I've had to use, um, obviously players, tons of porcupine stuff, but like that quick clot stuff, I've had a few big cuts that it's like, I got to stop. And even on me too. Right. Like I'm, I'm you've put quick, a uh, quick clot <laughs> yeah, quick clot <laughs> on quick, yourself. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, I use it frequently. I've got I've got it in my hiking kit too for yeah, in case yeah. anything happens. Have you used it on yourself? Yes, I have. Yeah. It works. It, yeah, it, it really does. does. I mean, yeah. if you if you cut big out in the field and you don't have like mm-hmm. duct tape or something yeah. like that to close a wound, it, it does help put that yeah. on, put some gauze over it and yeah. you're not good to go, but you're better off. Well, I mean, it things happen just so dang quickly. And it's amazing that it doesn't happen more often when you think about what your dogs are running, what our dogs are running through out there, you know, and how fast they're going and like head first through cattails. Cat, like you ever, if you ran your hand through enough cattails, like it's almost like you get those paper cuts on them. You know, it's amazing that the dogs don't come away just sliced up. Like they went through a shredder after they're every tough. single hunt. They're so tough. Yeah, and um, obviously all of us, you know, our hearts go out to Quill, and our, our, I know a lot of people are praying for the, for Quill. Uh, I am as well, and so we'll definitely keep you posted. Um, I know Emily Spoliar and Renee Tamala both uh, have been doing regular updates. Um, there is there is a GoFundMe set up, like I mentioned. Emily started that. If you go to her page emily spoliar on instagram you'll find that and i think um that is still active and up there right now uh it's it's just a a reminder just how quickly things can change out there um but with that we we do still have a hunting season here ben and while we were in north dakota you were 
on a wild western <laughs> <laughs> excursion yourself. I um, I believe it lasted like three weeks or yeah, something like, like that. Just just over yeah two and a half weeks or something like that. Nice so, little bender. Yeah, I left left after Thanksgiving and just kind of wandered my way west for a while and then wandered my way back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hunting the whole way out there. I think yeah. that's. I think that's a dream for a lot of us to be able to go on an adventure like that where you just kind of, you get to go to places and you you kind of lay out your game plan. You know, we talked throughout your journey. Mm-hmm. I almost joined you yep. in o- Oregon. Probably hours away from joining. <laughs> yes, I was. I had flights on hold. Um, plans, our plans changed. We were going to hunt together in Montana, but yep. that changed. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a season right now where... Brutal winter conditions yeah. are just, uh, they're changing a lot of plans. But let's go back to the start of your journey because you went to Montana. Where did you guys go and why were you in a tent? Well, yeah, so we went we went to <laughs> eastern eastern Montana and we're, we're hunting with uh, folks from, from Pheasants Forever and Federal and had a number of writers with us um, for some various publications. And you know, we were, we were hunting and we said, let's, let's stay in wall tents. Like that sounds great. Right. That's super cool. Maybe in September. Well, Travis, (laughs) you're apparently a lot smarter than I am. Cause this was like, this was probably, I think we were planning this in maybe like May or June. And it's like, man, it's great. It's going to be so fun. Like I'm so psyched up. I, I do anything to go bird hunting right now. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do the wall tent. That's super cool. Was this a Kelvington, Brian Kelvington operation? He played these wall tents. I, I won't confirm or deny that he was <laughs> oh, there. Um, He's off your Christmas card list, isn't he? <laughs> I was equal part to the misery, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we got out there and it was just brutal. I mean, just windy. The I, mean, I remember getting in there like we'd stoking the fire, getting it rolling. Like, okay, we'll be good for we'll be good for a while. We're laying there, and the, and the canvas, the tent is just whipping up against the bed. And is the snow coming through the cracks? Thankfully not. Thankfully the, the tent was pretty dialed, but like three hours in, it was like, it's getting cold. <laughs> like I've not even like two and a half hours. It's like, damn, it's cold though. <laughs> yeah. Like, does that mean like that fire, all that firewood's already gone? Yep. Oh. So every three hours for four days. Was that the coldest you've ever been in sleeping conditions? I mean, Probably, I mean, I don't know, ice fishing, you know, right? When when your yeah. propane goes out and you wake up and it's 30 degrees inside the fish house, that's what it felt like. Yeah. But instead of, you know, flipping to a new tank or turning the pilot light back on, you just had more fire to the stove. More fire. The yeah. worst conditions, sleeping conditions I've ever had, we were in this little tiny log cabin up in Alaska, and it was like an hour and a half into nowhere. Like we had to fly in into this place. And we land on a frozen riverbed, and there's this little cabin. It was probably, Brandon, how big is this room? Or would you guys say like 15 by 15? That's the size of this. 15 by 20. 15 yeah. by 20. Yeah. The cabin wasn't quite this big, but it was a double-decker. But 25 to 40 below zero Ooh. each night. And you had to get up and keep it going. But if you fell asleep, and all of a sudden you woke up, and it was like, it was so cold to crawl out of that sleeping bag to go restart that fire. There was two little cabins. And so, um, the, it's not like I wanted somebody to do it for us, but you know, like even the guide, he was in his own little tiny cabin. And so, yeah, you gotta get up, you gotta do it. Just get used to it. Right. Like all of a sudden it's like, all right, every two hours, like I'd wake up like, oh yeah, time to go. Yep. So you're out in the middle of, uh, Montana, you wake up and I'm assuming you could probably hunt out the back door. Oh yeah. Yep. It was you know, we went out and would run the dogs right around camp, and that was awesome. But uh, you know, we spent spent the morning. We'd go chase, go goose hunt, which was unbelievable, right? The the geese are thick as thieves. They're all piled up into these. You know, that's Montana's kind of become a goose hunting destination for late season. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a fantastic place, um, and you know, lots of opportunity. So. Um, the, we had the perfect conditions for, for hunting waterfall, right? Windy, cold, like they, when they would leave the roost, they wanted to be back on the ground Eating. as soon as possible. Yeah. It's amazing. The, that like my best waterfall hunts have all been just so miserably cold. Like yeah, that, 
Those birds want in so bad. They don't, you know, like a nice 50 degree morning in October when yeah. they're, when they circle and they circle <laughs> and they circle and they swing out another mile wide and come back circle and circle. They don't do that when it's zero no. degrees and the snow is blowing. They come straight in. If you're on the X, yeah, they come straight in. So these geese were coming off the river. The wind was blowing from us to the river. And they, I don't think they were going, I watched a few flocks of geese go underneath a little like rural power line. <laughs> That's how they I never got... left like 10, 15 feet off the ground. They just wanted it. Yeah. It was... Were mallards too? Uh, not as many. You know, a lot of those mallards uh, kind of migrate. There were, we did see a few, but a lot of them have kind of moved on at that point. But... So it's worth sleeping in a wild tent. Yes. To get that kind of hunt. I love my dog. And like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good for life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. Hunting season is here, and North Dakota is one of my favorite places to spend a fall day. That's because North Dakota is a bird hunting paradise. You can hunt both waterfowl and upland birds all in the same day, and North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. This year, North Dakota has a population estimate of 3.4 million breeding ducks, which is 38% above the long-term average. And their prairie pothole region is smack dab in the middle of the central flyway. Their spring water index also came way up, over 600% from last year's drought. The habitat on the landscape looks great, and bird reports are strong throughout the state. With a little scouting, you just might find yourself in a field surrounded by wild flushing pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and Hungarian partridge. Plan a legendary bird hunt this fall in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. Let's dig into the upland side of it, obviously. Um, Pheasant hunts were not as productive as you hoped or were they good? They were good. They were yeah, they? I mean the, they were they were good. Um it's it's just all about finding the right cover, right? You yeah. know, it's you could walk for miles and stuff that was good in October and November and it, it will be devoid of life yeah. in December. That's the biggest thing for I think most people that have hunted up on birds long enough, they know the the way that the season plays out is not, you don't go to the same places in mm-hmm. September and October and expect to find the birds in December when there's snow on the ground and everything is blown sideways. Where did you find them? You know, it's just looking for that thermal cover next to food, right? So um, whether it's Russian olive patches of bushes, um, cattail sloughs, but again, there's got to be some sort of food source close to it. Were they all just bunched up tight? Yeah, a lot of them. You know, it's like you... It's kind of easy when you're walking, it's easy to say like, okay, this is going to be the spot, right? Because it's like, you just, it's got, all right, we've got Russian olives, cattails, and then it's on the edge of this field. It's like, yeah, they're, they're going to be there. Or there's a, there's a a drainage ditch with trees in it. It's like, yep, this is perfect cover for birds to get out of the wind, out of the weather. I, so we had the, we were in Western North Dakota too, and same type of deal. Um, I'm assuming we were in similar conditions, habitat-wise, uh, where the birds are. You know where they're going to be. That doesn't mean you're going to get there, though. No. You know, God, they no. they know the game. They've been chased around. So it's like, all right, how do you get 
somebody and we're always brainstorming like what's the most <laughs> effective way to do this one you can sneak in as quietly as you can with a dog but every in the snow they hear that like work. hundreds of yards away no there's no way you're sneaking up on them so you have to figure out how to approach it in a way that like gets gets them fooled i think is the way to put it you have to find a way to get somebody on, like mm-hmm. around it. But the problem is a lot of times it's like, all right, that's a half a mile to that piece where we know the birds are in. How do we get somebody, do we send somebody a full mile around to come in the opposite side to like pinch them? Man. It sounds like that would be easy enough to do, but then you got to, somebody has to raise their hand and say, I'm going Nothing to walk. about that sounds easy, just know, for the record. I know, especially when you've got drifts. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality of hunting late season birds. I think that's why when you see somebody holding up a bird yeah. in the end of December out there, there's like so much that goes into it to make that happen. And it's just, you feel like you really accomplished something. Yeah. And, and people get, I think late season, you know, I've, I've seen it on social media. People are super, they get super frustrated, right? Like, I, you know, I've seen hundreds of birds, but I can never get close enough to them. And, yeah. and, and kind of my take is like, I, the way I go after it, it's just a sheer numbers game, right? If I move enough birds, eventually I'm going to find one that holds where, you know, you could say, all right, I'm going to, pinpoint this one area i'm going to put all these eggs into this basket and and get to this piece of cover cut them off undetected whatever mm-hmm. i just like to say hell with it like I, if i if i if i cover enough territory i'm eventually there's going to be a bird that holds or two birds or three birds that hold yeah i think um you know one thing that last week when we were out there um you know, I really opened Daisy up and let her go and do her thing. And, you know, she would point and hold birds at a couple hundred yards away. She had some birds that she pointed where it took us, because of the terrain and, and the snow and stuff, that five, six, eight minutes from when the buzzer said she's on point to when we got there. And that just generally doesn't happen. And that's no discredit to Daisy. That's yeah. just the bird you're chasing. Like, right. That is astounding. Like those are days you live for. I, yes. I mean, oh gosh, she had some of those points where it's like, guys, she's on point 300 yards, you know, and yeah. based on the train, I'm like, that's a, to get up over and through that stuff to get to that. But it's almost like it was nice to have a dog that was willing to, that, you know, like your dog, Amos, he wants to get out and go too. Yeah. But I feel like, Versus trying to have our small little marching band, the four of us in, in our line, catch up to those birds. Yeah. Be like, all right, we're going to let a dog, a couple dogs go out there too. Emily has a big running um, setter as well. And so having dogs like that this time of the year can sometimes, it's it's helpful, yeah. you know, to pin a bird. But the numbers game, like you said, yeah, we would see 50, 75, 100 birds were sneaking out and then... Yeah. You get two or three of that hold, and you get a couple birds. So for every 50 birds that got away, we put <laughs> exactly. one in the vest, and it's like, hey, this is working out. And it was, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Um, with it being this cold, though, now, I mean, the forecast right now, uh, at least in Minnesota and North Dakota mm-hmm. and South Dakota, is brutal. I mean, yeah. high temperatures the next Four, five, six days are going to be around zero, uh, below zero for a high yes. couple of the days, uh, single digits, lows in the negative, way negatives, you know, 15, 20-ish. What do you do when it gets that cold? Do you just, besides driving south, <laughs> what <laughs> yeah, do you do? That's, that's the number one plan. Yeah, because I am not ready to call this a season. Yeah. I don't You're care. Be that here to the bitter end? Yes, I, I've, I hunt. I'm going to be out there yeah. over the holidays here, and I will be hunting, you know, occasionally uh, between family get-togethers and stuff. But, like, do you have anything that you like to do when it gets this cold to help your dogs? So the one thing, like, the, the caveat to start this off is, like, we, what I think it was the word anthropomorphize, like, we we put our feelings onto a dog, right? We think yeah. they're humans. They're yeah. not. They're yeah. dogs, right? They are way tougher. We were just talking about <laughs> Renee's dog. Like yeah. they are way tougher than we are. Like, oh, poor Travis, he's walking around naked outside. 
right? Like, it's not the same thing as your dog being outside. So, like, you, I know we live pretty close to each other, but I did not think you were watching. I was just at Mac and doing some. There's Travis. Yeah. Uh, well, you we, gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. <laughs> One with nature. Yes. Yes. So. So, anyways, with my, my my circuitous route to my point, yeah. um, they are able to withstand a lot more than a lot of people give them credit for. Like, you know, I, I see it sometimes. Like, oh, I don't hunt my dog past zero degrees. It's like Amos, who is skinny as skinny gets. Yep. He's gotten pretty much no fur to speak of. Yep. And I was running him at, I think it was like 10 or 11 below. And... He's fine. Like, right? Like, obviously, keep an eye. Like, it's when they get sitting that it can be problematic. You know, the biggest thing for me is, like, um, you know, the German dogs, they don't care. I've noticed around, like, negative 30, they they don't want to be out there. That's cold. That's super cold. That's super cold. Like, you know, the, like I'll run them for, like, 15 minutes, and they're like, all right. Like, it's like their pads get iced up, and yep. it's like, all right, we're done. Um. And Amos wants nothing to do with negative 30. So. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, I mean, just just pay attention to your dog, right? You know, if if, if they're not enjoying it, like if they're not, they don't want to go hunt, they just want to go back to the truck, then it's like, mm. well. Yeah. Well, um, I think, you know, short trips are obviously um, important to consider. But, like, the kennel situation, what you're going to put that dog back into yeah. After the hunt, you yeah. know, like Daisy comes out and she's soaked because running through all that snow and she's like Amos. I mean, there's not a lot of fur. No, there. no. And, you know, she's shivering. Um, Jay Brecky is a vet out of Colorado and we've had him on the show a couple of times. Uh, congrats to Jay. He just had a baby yesterday. Oh, yeah. awesome. Uh, oh. My daughter's birthday. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, Jay and I were going to talk about how to keep your dog um, powered through this cold. He recently wrote an article with uh, Tom Carpenter for Pheasants Forever. You can go read oh, that article cool. on their website and talks about how, you know, signs, things to look for to know if your dog is suffering from hypothermia or anything like that. So if your dog is shivering, that's a good sign. Yeah. If your dog is not shivering, then they've gotten too cold, which is interesting. Um, so anyway, Daisy comes back and she's shivering, but she's wet, you know, and it wasn't like it was 25 below. I mean, there was, it was single digits a couple of the mornings, but she was dry when she started and she's amped, mm -hmm. you know, and part of me wonders too, like they're running, she's running so fast. Like if I'm running, like well, I could yeah, run naked well, out there. Yeah, man. yeah exactly. Yeah, like yeah. look at, look at us. Like, like you, we don't wear layers even when it, like yeah. a lot of layers, right? Cause you start, it's hot, you get warm. Yeah. So. But then after the fact, just drying her off. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a couple towels with and just would dry her off. And then I brought, I've got the Rufflin kennel that is a backseater, basically. Mm -hmm. And so I put that in the cab inside and just crank the heat up. And she goes and curls up in there um, and just get her dried off before taking her on the next hunt so she doesn't come out wet. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I, I, oh. I think, too, also, you know, looking at a lot of times... This big property is a section um, that is probably something that I would spend hours on instead of doing, you know, the continuing the push. Oh, that looks good. I got to go there. That looks good. I would be like, all right, <clears throat> I'm going to come back to the truck, let her dry off a little bit and warm back up. And then we're going to approach it from another angle instead of just keeping that hunt going. Yeah. That's something that. I have to do for her sake because in my world, I've got a motor that doesn't stop. I'm just <laughs> like, I know the birds are there. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. So just being cognizant of it, I think, when it's this cold out. Yeah. And there's, a, like you were saying, drying a dog's off. Um, you know, a vet could probably speak more eloquently about this. But, you know, people talk about getting limber tail if you're not drying your dog off, throwing a wet dog into the box. That's not good. Uh, another thing, um, you know, if you have a kennel cover for your kennel, um, a dog will keep that really warm. Yeah. It's like you don't have to be very afraid of of your dog ever freezing to death. You know, you have to be you'd be a lot more concerned with a dog overheating than freezing. You know, so so for example, I throw my dogs in their box, they have a kennel cover. Mm -hmm. Um, it was in I think it got down to like negative seven or eight in when we were in Montana. 
And I have a little, you know, a, a tip for everyone if they don't, but you can get really cheap little, um, like Bluetooth temperature, like outdoor temperature sensors. Mm -hmm. So I just have a probe in the kennel and I don't think that kennel ever got below 55 degrees. Really? They yep. just kept it that they, the dog with the cover, they, that body heat <coughs> will keep it. Did you zip it tight? Um, I, when it was on some of the really cold nights, you know, I, they've got vents in the side. Yep. A lot of them do, yep. but yeah, I'd zip the, the front shut and, and they were, you know, you open, open the, uh, open the door and 50 free, 55 degree air comes out into negative 10 steam. Rises and it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, they're, you're plenty warm in there. Do you ever so. put more than one dog in the kennel together? So it's kind of like the extra warmth uh, i've got like you've seen annie and herb their horses of dogs yeah i would need a, a yeah. stable to put two of them together <laughs> but true. i know a lot of people like yeah they'll throw two three four dogs in a box yeah and obviously they curl up together and, and keep warm so um you know a lot of people will not i shouldn't say a lot of people but you know uh inclination would be like well if my dog has to stay outside at night, maybe I'll put a space heater in there mm -hmm. or, or even, I don't know. That scares me a little a bit. A propane heater. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Like they'll, they'll be warm enough. Again, more dogs will die from heat stroke before they will or overheating than they mm -hmm. will from freezing to death. Well, back to your adventure because it clearly didn't stop in Montana. Oh, did you ever catch up to the sharp tails in Montana? Um, in a roundabout way. What does that mean? I mean, they, it was, it was, uh, unconventional warfare. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, they would, they'd see you from hundreds and hundreds of yards mm -hmm. and get up. So quickly learn that like, that wasn't the game. So, um, the extent of our Sharpie hunting was, you know, Oh, there's one flying over. <laughs> <laughs> Pass or, shooting almost. Or, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and that was, you know, I wasn't that mad at the Sharpies on this trip. You know, I like to give them, give them their time in September. So yeah. I wasn't mad at them by any means, but you know, if you wanted, if, if you wanted to go out, we had one guy that came up, uh, a guy that also works for Onyx Lake. He drove up from Mississippi, uh, to, to come, he wanted to come hunt up here. Lake Pickle. Lake Pickle. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so he was mad at the Sharpies, never shot one. So it, you know, you can figure them out. You can, this time of year, they're super patternable. So, um, you know, there were a couple of bushes that were, they were just like a, a tractor beam. Every bird would want to fly. And were they going back and forth? Back and forth. They'd land in the fields and they'd fly up to the, the bushes. Right. So it's like, well, just sit by that bush for a while. <laughs> and you'll get one. Like and a he deer did. hunt almost. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Did he and, get one? Oh yeah, yeah, he did. Yep. So he, he it was great. You hunted, and I don't know that we've talked since the start of hunting season. Maybe we have, but it's it's been a blur to me now. <laughs> um, at least on the on the show here, mm -hmm. you spent uh, a couple weeks in Montana for the early season as well. That's become kind of your go to out oh, there. Which, fun. if you've done it, you understand why. But yeah. um, how was the sharp tail and Hungarian partridge hunting, in your opinion, this year out there? You know, I thought. So my take is I thought it was pretty equal to numbers last year with, with saying that there was way more habitat. So hmm. I guess that would mean there were more birds because it's, you know, last year, if you, they could, were concentrated. if you could find the right cover, there would be a lot of birds there. But this year, all of that good cover was almost everywhere. So last year it was the emergency hang that yep. cut that down. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of areas in Montana that were still pretty, pretty impacted by drought this year. So, um, you know, you just kind of got to navigate that. But again, a, a banner bird year across the, I mean, I'm sure there's some stuff that are down, but yeah. it seems like it's a banner bird year across the whole, you know, western part of the country. Walton's has been one of our best supporters, and I'm forever grateful for that. Brett Walton and his boys and John Tremblay, the whole family there at Walton's, they work to provide everything that we need to prepare and process our wild game. And right now, I'm told, if you order anything on their site, over 5,000 items, by the way, it ships the same day. Anything from seasonings and spices to stuffers and grinders, mixers, everything but the meat. They've got it. And right now, they've got it on sale, making it even 
better. If there's anything you might need for yourself or that hunter or angler in your life, odds are they've got it. Check out Waltons.com. The Flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we change the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control FlexWad technology and a mix of copper-plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. The app also shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land or federal lands or walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. And there's a timber cut layer to help you find the right forest habitat for rough grouse. If you hunt in North Dakota, there's even a layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx apps give you. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx maps always help you to know where you stand. So let's continue further west because you left your comfort zone, which, um, you know, flat us flatlanders yeah. here. You had chucker on your list yep. and mountain quail yep. and Hungarian partridge. What else? Valley quail. Valley was quail. the other one. Yeah. Okay. So mountain quail, valley quail, chucker. You went out to Oregon to hunt after Montana. Uh-huh. Um, what... What was going through your mind on why you wanted to hunt for those birds and what were your expectations going into it? Yeah. So, I mean, it was something new. Everyone had talked to talks about chucker hunting, like how brutal it is, how rough it is, but how rewarding it is. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as, you know, that is an area of the country that is largely forgotten about for upland bird hunting. Um, there's still, you know, you look at Washington, Oregon, like there's a, there's a bunch of people that like to pursue pheasants, but you know, you, I was talking, so I, I went out there and, and met up with, uh, Nate Aiki, who, who lives out there now. And we were talking about mountain quail hunting. He's like, I don't, I don't really know that many people. Like maybe I can count on two hands, one hand, how many people he knows that hunt mountain quail. So it's just like a really untapped. I think how I have heard them described is they are similar to a rough grouse as far as how thick the cover mm -hmm. is that they're in, but yet you add a mountain to it. Yeah. And <clears throat> mountain quail are also covey birds, like all quail species, but they're smaller than a rough grouse. So imagine trying to hit a rough uh, yeah. a, a a bird that's half the size of rough grouse in rough grouse cover flying through it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I when it came to, like, I kind of knew just from watching videos and, um, you know, seeing articles about chucker hunting, right? Like, yep. there, there's there's a, a fair amount of information about hunting chucker, um, but there's not about mountain quail. Yeah. So, I didn't, like, I was, and they probably, they probably sound like dumb questions when I was asking Nate, but it's like, just trying to get a feel for what we were even hunting. He kept say, he kept saying like, just like it's like rough grouse hunting, but then like you're walking on a thatch of slash from timber harvest, Ugh. and I was like, oh, this this doesn't sound super cool, <laughs> yeah. like uh, and and so it's like, well, we'll figure it out, right? Yeah. So we start driving, and it's like we are you're in the rainforest. It feels like I don't know. I've never like I don't, I don't think I've been in a rainforest. We felt up, like were it. you up on the mountain or were you in the on the lower? So we started. You know, we started down. Okay, as most people do, going up a mountain. Yeah, and um, but then yeah, you know, as we kept climbing in elevation, which really it's not a whole lot of elevation because you're starting at at sea level almost. Um, but yeah, then you're you're hunting like. I consider, I would consider those mountains for sure. Um, and you know, you, we were kind of looking at targeting clear cuts next to like some mature stands of, of pines there. And, um, 
And the name of the game, like it is hard to, you couldn't just say, all right, we're going to kick it like chucker hunting and go walk 15 miles through the woods. Like it didn't seem like that's how the game was played. It was almost more so like, all right, we're going to drive to this area where, you know, we, we saw a covey, uh, or go to this area where I saw a covey, go to this area. Right. So like, you're just kind of going on a milk run of different areas. More like spots. a rough grouse type of hunt where you're hunting specific covers yeah. versus just getting out and covering huge. Yes. Okay. Yep. For sure. So like, you know, if somebody wanted to go do it, what I would honestly tell you is like, take a day before whatever and just go drive around. Cause like the, they'll, they'll be out in the roads mm. picking gravel. Did you see them out in the roads yeah. picking? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yep. And what's on trails. A, did you ask like, what is a mountain quail's territory? I, I knew it at one point, which was only a couple of weeks ago. I, <laughs> it wasn't, I, it wasn't very big. But the thing is, is they, we also had snow out there. And so I don't think mountain quail, I don't think you can call it a migration, but I was, I, I think I was doing some reading and like, they'll move up to like 40 miles Okay. with, with snowfall. So they don't go up. They go, they go down. They go down. Okay. Cause it's uh, yep. uh blue grouse. They migrate up yep. during the winter, which is interesting. Yeah. It's super interesting. Yeah. Um, so like that was, you know, on my mind, like, you know, you, I, I, I remember vividly of when you were out, was it out chasing ptarmigan in Colorado? Oh yeah. yeah. And it was like, <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Yep. There's some snow and then it completely changed the game. Right. So yeah. I was sitting here, like, as we drove up and there's snow everywhere, it's like, Oh, this is what was Nate's reaction to that. He's he okay was, he thought, you know, he thought, well, he also said, I believe he said, like, I, he's like, I haven't spent that much time chasing them in the late season, normally yeah. remote chucker hunting. So, so it's it like, kind of we'll a, see. what I think when, when situations like that present itself, I'm almost more excited because now, like, even though Nate's been out here, hunted these yeah. birds before, he's got to figure out something too, which to me, it's like, when you do then catch up to the birds, yep. get a shot, get one in hand, it's a celebration for everybody then. Yeah. Because you you have to figure it out together. And that's the fun part about hunting. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine, you know, my brain would be like, all right, well, snow. I can see tracks in the snow. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, well, you're walking, you know, walking a lot of little logging paths and that kind of thing. And, and yeah, then it's like, okay, there's tracks here. There, where there's tracks, there's generally birds. And it yep. was fresh snow too. So, you know, that was one aspect that. Were you on a steep? Super steep. Super steep. Okay. So it's tough going. Yeah. So slippery. Yeah, exactly. Um, so generally like you couldn't walk through like the clear cuts on hillsides. There's no way you could walk through those like just way, way too steep. Um, kind of had to follow logging trails or stay in like the more mature timber, um, just where you could get a footing. But then it's like walking through deep snow. You were post holing through, but instead of just snow, you're going through this layer of thatch or slash. And I was like, you just lost 90% of our listeners. Yeah. They're like, nope, yep. I'm out. <laughs> I am out. Brandon's shaking his head yeah. over there. Yeah, I was out there just last uh, last summer or whatever. And yeah. it, I know exactly what he's uh-huh. talking about with that thatch and everything. It's it's a rough terrain. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the cool thing about it is the bird. Yeah. Like they are. One of the most beautiful birds. Largest I, quail species. Yeah. Unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. <laughs> like that, the blue to them. It's hard to do them justice on a picture. I wish you'd have brought one in here today. Oh, I got one in the freezer. I'm going to stop over <laughs> at your house after this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just just want to hold one. Super neat birds. Um, so yeah, like that. Just to see one and uh-huh. hold one, see them running across the road in the woods, etc. Like made the trip to do that mm-hmm. worth it alone. So how many did you get? I think I shot two, two, and that's yeah. a success. Yeah, I was yeah. I was happy. I should, you know, we shot one, shot into a covey, and it was like, oh, heck yeah, like, yeah, worth this a is twenty nine awesome. hour drive to get yeah, here. Whatever exactly, it was. like done. I mean, that's the thing. Like even my first um, sage grouse, I'm like, that's it. I'm good. I'm good. You know, like you get one of these iconic birds in your hand, and it's like I don't I'm not here to just keep yeah. going. Well, actually, certain. now that I think about it, I only shot one, so it was. 29 hours for one. For one bird. Yeah. But not, not a, quite. Not okay. Quite. <laughs> all right. When you say that to your wife, she's like, what? Uh-huh. For one bird? Are yeah. you nuts? Yeah. 
I just, we don't even, we don't talk about those <laughs> details. Those are One details. Bird. Was it worth yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, so if, I don't know, that would have been a long drive to hunt for one, for one bird. But thankfully after that, we went and hunted. We, we moved further, went back further to the east and, and spent some, a few days hunting chucker and valley quail. Okay. Which. Had you hunted either of those before? No, never hunted chucker. Okay. I know you've done it a few times. Yeah, it's a rush. And, you know, I don't consider myself necessarily in shape. I don't work out. I just Don't walk. tell yourself short over there. I don't walk. <laughs> I only walk when I'm hunting. You're not You're not like the uh, athlete hunter no, that your no. dog is? No, not at all. That's yeah. the dog's job. Um, so, like, I, was, I wasn't nervous. I was like, I can, I can do it, right? It's just a matter of just, it sucks. But uh, I got out there and... I don't know, for like the first five, six hours, it was like like adrenaline, right? Like, this is so cool. Like, I don't even care. Um, and and it, honestly, uh, people are going to probably, you know, there's a ton of nuance, right? Where you hunt, yeah. how steep, nasty. But I didn't, th- you know, we were doing nine to, I think nine to, or like around 10 miles a day in chucker country. And I didn't think it was that bad. Like, it was, it was doable. Um, you know, I know there's some places like Hell's Canyon, which like 10 the miles there is, so is way harder. So I think once you get up into there, yeah, like usually my experience and it's limited, but where I've hunted them, you usually don't have a convenient starting spot. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like, okay, we need to go 2000 feet up. You're and then we're going to kind of be at the terrain elevation or uh, then we're going to be at the elevation that i think we're going to need to mm-hmm. stay at um and then obviously the birds can dictate that some days we're like crap we got to go way up some days we went way up and they were down where we parked you know <laughs> and so but it's initial climb is what gets you and then you as you're hiking you figure out how to stay at your elevation in a way that doesn't kill you yeah yeah i think that's how i would just des- would describe it but it's like all right we got to get up there first. Did you guys have the steep starting spot? Yeah, so we had one uh, one spot that yeah we we started down at the the bottom and yeah had to, had to hike up. It wasn't a terrible hike at all, but uh, yeah, I can I can agree with that one hundred percent. So you got some qu- or you got some chucker. Yeah, uh, your pup Amos went out there. Um, yeah, you let him out, and you you mentioned something, or maybe you you uh, shared this on your Instagram about your dog blowing it up yeah you about ready to lose it you've gone this far here's your dog out there's never smelled a chucker before gets up on the mountain and what happened yeah so i mean he was fired up because i had i had hunted him a little bit in montana and then when we were hunting mountain quail i didn't hunt him i hunted herb and so he was just like just full of energy right so I let him out, let him out and, and zipping around. It's like, oh, we got to burn some steam off you here, bud. Yeah. And first covey, I think he just plowed right through him. Like didn't, didn't even, was going too fast. Oh, driving his headlights, blew him up. Thankfully stopped to flush, but at that point the damage was already done. Yeah. Um. So it's like, okay, like first covey jitters or whatever. Well, next one will be fine. And and I had a lot of, I had high expectations for him. It was like, this is a, this is a species you should excel at. You know, it's big it's country, big country, big running dog. Like he knows how to stop and stand there. And if the birds will hold, then he's an English pointer. Yep. I think we mentioned that. Yep. yep. So big it's running like, dog. We'll be good. And so it's like, all right, just chalk that one up to, you know, inexperience and get to the next one. And, um, Nate's dog Tico is on point. And normally Amos will back, and this this instance he did not back, and just came in and just ripped this, <laughs> and uh. didn't smell anything right, but just like did not honor that dog at all. And and so I forgot to mention, like we had, uh, you know, we were doing a, a little film for Quill Forever. So Chad Love, editor for the Journal, was there, um, and then we were filming it. So and Chad has never hunted Chucker either never shot one and so at this point i was like i'm not only like ruining my not ruining because like it's me it's yeah. my dog like yeah. but i'm potentially there's a lot of pressure now yeah somebody else's hunt so like i thought long and hard it was like man do i 
do I pick them up? Like, mm. or, or anytime Tika finds one, like instantly, I don't care where you are. I'm just going to stop you. Yeah. And you just stand there. <laughs> and so it happened again where thankfully this one, like he saw Tika on point and he was running behind her and that must've just been, you know, he was still probably 50 yards behind her, but that must've been enough pressure to push that, that covey to sail all the way to the bottom of this gorge. Chuck her run up the mountain and fly down. That's yeah. their escape mechanism. They're yeah. very good at it. So you're 0 for 3 now. Yeah. So the, I'm just The blood is just pumping, I imagine. Well, and, and I'm not mad. I'm just I'm just demoralized. <laughs> just de- <laughs> like oh, like, this is a dog that I'm so proud of that yep. has done so well. Champion's got all these ribbons. And he's just like Yes. He's just not getting it. So What's going like, through your mind at this point? You're thinking, is it because he doesn't understand this bird that he's not stopping? Or is he just too jacked up? Uh, at this point, he had probably ran, I think that day he ran 34 miles. So, I mean, he had put on already probably 10 miles after his third, 12, probably 10, 12 miles after his third. Explosion? Uh, yeah. And you guys had yet to put a bird in hand at this point? No. And now what are you thinking? And so I'm just like, now it's to the point where it's like, all right, like when, when Nate's dog goes on point, I'm just stopping him. Like Mm -hmm. you stay there. Like you don't get a chance to have manners. Yeah. And, and so it was like, all right, that's the game. Like, I don't want to, I want us to get birds like for this is work for this project. Right. This film we're doing. Um, and then, you know, he was out, out, I was letting him run because it's like eventually he's going to figure it out, right? He's going to just get in the right situation and make it happen. But um, so all of a sudden I get an alert on my alpha and it's like Amos is on point at 380 yards. And and I couldn't see him. You know, there was a big kind of a rock outcropping and he was up this cut going uphill. And, and it's like, well, we'll just start walking. And like odds are he's – Either, either is he's just standing there waiting, like listening for where we are, or you know he's gonna move and the birds are gonna flush, like just yeah. totally negative energy out there. <laughs> and kept walking, kept getting closer. It's like, dang, like might, might be, be something. something. And yeah. so I round this corner. He says he's like seven, sixty yards away, seventy yards, and round this corner. First thing I see are these chucker running, oh. and he was facing downhill, and I was came around this knob from the downhill side. So it's like, oh, you guys are in trouble. Pinned him. Yep. And so he's 60 yards. They're in between us at probably 35. And I could see him running. I was like, oh, yes. And so like that, and then shot a couple out of there. And it was like, okay, the the world is right again. (laughs) Like it's amazing how fast it can go from like, I'm never doing this again. This dog is useless. I'm going to sell it. I hate my life to, oh, this is great. It, it feels like, it feels so, like I'm sure you've been through it. And it oh, have I yeah. ever? Oh. But it feels, I don't know why it feels so bad. It's like to go from, I literally hate my dog to like, this is the best dog ever. And it just yes. feels stupid in my yes. head. Like, wow. Like, you are such a homer here. <laughs> well, it's just a reminder too to like, Try to keep your, I mean, we talk about this all the time. You got to stay even keeled through the highs and the lows. It's so hard to do though. I would say, you know, with this dog here, she has pushed me through so many of my past, my limits on so many occasions. And there's a camera there and there's other people. And it's just like this pressure. It's different Uh than if I'm just going out with her and I, Um, you know, if you're working through this with, a team out there that's yeah. trying to document this. And I mean, it just, but then when it does happen, you know, you have those moments and she's had it this season. She's pointed hundreds of birds. That is so hundreds. Cool. And mm-hmm. it's been, you know, running roosters where she's like, she's just a, like a bird finding machine. I mean, Emily at one point, like when we were out there last week, Daisy had just held a bird on point for like six or seven minutes and now she's over there 250 yards <laughs> and there's a bird in front of her and she's holding that, you know, and we're out of sight. She could have done whatever she wanted when we couldn't see what was going on. We get over there and there's a bird right there. And then she goes the next and she's like, that dog is just a bird finding machine. And I'm like, it's really fun when, when, they oh, do yeah, that when it comes stuff. together. Yeah. 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 So what did you learn from this experience? What was your takeaway out there? 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, from from that situation, it was like just just be gracious, right? Like just again to your point, you can't lose your cool. Like, and, and it's another good thing. Like I asked, you know, in that situation, if you're hunting with somebody else, like I I said, like, hey, I'll gladly put him up and go mm-hmm. to the truck. Like, just be honest with me, because like I know he's not doing well. And so you have to, A, you have to be honest about your dog, right? And, yeah. if, and how that's affecting somebody else's hunt, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, and it's just better to talk about it, right? Yep. Um, instead of harboring, you know, I, the last thing I'd want is to get back to the truck and everyone all hacked off at me because my dog just ruined our entire hunt. Yeah. So. Once um, he once he figured it out, though, he was back in. Oh, yeah. Then he had, you know, we hunted for two more days and just had just stellar yeah just did great so um do you feel like i mean you've hunted all over the country you've hunted a variety of birds that was up on near the top of your bucket list of things at least for now to experience and and to hunt um why though why did you want to go do that and are you glad you did yeah um yeah chucker chucker specifically were i mean are at the top one or two for sure. Um, a, it's just such beautiful country. I mean, it's just like, it, you can see the dogs for miles and it's fun when you have a big running dog. Cause you can see them learn, you can see them cover the right objectives. Um, you know, it's just more visually stimulating versus, you know, running in cattails and you don't see any of the dog where you don't see anything. Bird gets up, shoot bird. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, it's a part I enjoyed probably the most out of it is the dog work. Um, there's something about when a dog is on point on the side of a mountain, Yeah, you know, like you can see everything, but I find myself when that happens, just like, even if it's for just a, a count of like two or three seconds, just like stop and like take a mental image. Because sometimes you're in the clouds, you yeah. Know? Or sometimes your your view around, and you just like there's nobody else as far as I can see in any direction, and we're up here hiking through, and there's these awesome birds that yeah. live up here, and just to experience it. I always tell people, I'm like, just do it once, mm-hmm. although it can ruin you. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> you already planning your next trip? Yes. Where yes. are you going next? I don't know. I'm trying to. I'll probably end up in Wyoming or something because it I'm is significantly <laughs> closer. closer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause it, yeah, it was, it was like 29 hours for me to get out there. So it was a drive. Um, but yeah, but one thing I like, I would say is like, like that's a trip that, um, you know, obviously I had, a, I had all the help. We had Nate out there. So mm-hmm. like he lives had, there. Yeah. He had kind of figured it out, but you know, in hindsight, that's something that you could you could figure out, or if you had the time to do it, you could you could be successful. You and I and Brandon, the three yes. of us, could get in a car right now and go out to the yes. mountains somewhere and be dangerous. And I think we could find some chucker. A lot yeah, we it. could find. Yep, chucker. We could find mountain quail. We could find valley quail. If I now that I did it once, it's mm-hmm. like, yep. I and I and I don't doubt. Like if you just said. You and Brandon, you're going out there. You could make it happen. You could figure it out. Well, I think, um, you know, anytime you have the opportunity to go with somebody that can help shorten your learning curve, that's That's huge. huge. But if you don't, don't let that deter you from trying it. Because if you can hunt bobwhite quail in Nebraska or the sand hills for prairie chicken, you will figure out how to get close to a valley quail Mm -hmm. or a chucker. The mountain quail, there. That's that, tough. That was a tough. That was a tough game. Yeah, that could take a lot of time. Yeah, because knowing a general area where they're birds, um, I probably would estimate that it cut yeah. your, your curve down by like days. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because that. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Is like, and it's easy to get just get yourself in an area that you know the birds exist, right? And then by just being there and immersing yourself, walking, driving, like eventually you can put a pattern together. But if there's no birds there, then you'll never put a pattern together, right, in that area. Um, Bringing this back here to home, um, you know, I I had some time to myself out in North Dakota for a day after everything happened, and 
I just kind of drove around a little bit and I took Daisy out, just her and I, we went for a walk and I, you know, there's a lot of places that I could have hunted, but I was rather than just getting out and walking, you've got snow, you've got drifts, you could get to a spot where you're like, oh, this is brutal. Um, I stopped and knocked on farmers' doors. This time of the year, hunting seasons are over for mm-hmm. most people. If you're still out there, a lot of farmers are going to say, sure, go ahead. They're done chasing their deer. Yep. They might not even be a pheasant hunter. But even they, if they are a pheasant hunter. Even if they are a pheasant hunter. They don't want to be, be out there. Yeah, I, I stopped. The first guy is like, sure, go ahead. He had more property that I could hunt in the entire day. I just did yeah. a walk, you know. But I also hunted a state property that as I wouldn't have stopped there looking at it on on x based mm. on its location to town it, it mm. was right up against this oh, town cool but um when i drove around the edge of the perimeter of it there it was like tracks to the point oh. where i'm like <laughs> there's so many birds in here i have there was not one yeah. human track in the snow Ooh. it was all pheasant tracks and i'm like it's worth my time i like the look of the cover I liked that there was no cattails in it. Yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. wanted to watch my dog go for a run, and yeah. um, it was ended up being one of those days where she came flying out of the box, and you know she had just had a stellar day out there, mm-hmm. and she backed it up with another one. She was cool. running through that snow, man, and she winded those birds and slammed on point so hard a couple times that her front leg stopped and her back end whipped around <laughs> and snow flew up like five, six feet oh. in the air on her stop and right off of her snout would be a bird. That and she just so went from cool. one to the next to the next. And it was just like, oh. Days that, yeah, that's why we do it. That's why we do it. So if you got an hour, go out, the sunset, golden hour, the best time of the day to do it. It might be the warmest time of the day right now. Hunting seasons are winding down up here in the upper Midwest. They're still open for several weeks, couple months, the further south you go. Um, We're going to end it with that. that I hope you get out there. Take care of your dogs. Think about uh, a plan of attack for yourself, your dog, and how you're going to get close to those birds. Um, Have a wonderful holiday season, everybody. Merry Christmas to all of you um and enjoy the rest of uh this this hunting season here it it there's birds out there and there's a lot of memories yet to be made ben thanks for coming in today appreciate Appreciate it it, guys thank you brandon as always well done thank you well done on your part i sat here and pushed some buttons every once in a while (laughs) well we wouldn't know how to press those buttons without you (laughs) (laughs) thanks travis we'll be back next week with another episode of the flesh podcast (laughs) 